My name is Ethan Fordham. I serve as an elder here at Renovation Church. We're so grateful to have each and every one of you here with us this morning. Does anybody know what today is? Sunday. It is Sunday. Pentecost. Who said it? Yeah, today is Pentecost. Right? We, 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 we love Easter, right? Right? We like Pentecost the same way we like Easter. Those church calendar things. I don't know. I guess so. But anyways... Grateful that we all can be here this morning to continue our series in Matthew. And we're coming to a point in Matthew, right, where Jesus is in the temple and he's dealing with some folks. He's dealing with some questions. And this morning we start with the, the first in a series of three questions where people are trying to trick, trick up Jesus, right? But we know he's not going to get, he's not going to slip up. He's not going to get tricked. So if you would open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 22, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 22. Uh, it'll be on the screen. Please feel free to open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, there are Bibles in the back on that bottom shelf connected to the sound booth. Matthew chapter 22, 15 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for the Spirit's assistance this morning. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name. The Spirit of God, we ask that you would bring us light and life through this word. That you would open our eyes to the beauty of Christ and his gospel. That we might be changed and walk in obedience all the days of our lives. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Pharisees are at it again. They won't give up. They're like, they're like Wiley Coyote, trying to get their hands on Roadrunner, right? But Never quite works out that way, right? Roadrunner, he's always slipping, and Wiley Coyote's traps are always, uh, you know, activating on himself. Well, we see this, that, that they're going to try to entrap Jesus in his words. They're going to entangle him. They're going to get him to slip up. But the Pharisees this time aren't going themselves. No, 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 no. This time they've got a plan. They're going to send some other folks in. They're going to send in their own disciples, right? The disciples of the Pharisees, those who would reflect their teachers, um, who would be imitators 
of their teachers who would be very strict according to God's law, uh, you know, knowledgeable in all things religion. But not only the Pharisees' disciples, they also sent with them a, a group of folks called the Herodians. The Herodians. They were a, a group of uh, political partisans, right? They, they kind of were into the Herods and therefore were into Rome. They were themselves Jews as well. The big difference between these two groups is that the Pharisees and their disciples did not like the Romans, and they did not like the Herods. But the Herodians, they did. This is kind of odd, the combination of these two groups. This is like cats and dogs living together. It doesn't make any sense for these people to be joined up in the same thing. So we wonder why. Why were they sent together? Well, we, we go on to read that this is what the, the Pharisees' disciples said to Jesus. They, they said, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. We know this tact, right? You got to go to somebody if you want to get something out of them. You got to butter them up, right? Flatter them a little bit. You know, it's like, it's like if I go to Gabby and I'm like, you did such a good job today. You did so good. You worked so hard. You know what you deserve? Chick-fil-A. You deserve some Chick-fil-A, right? Because that means I get Chick-fil-A too, right? Got to butter them up. Make them feel safe. Well, it's interesting. We know that they're there to entrap him, so we know that they're being disingenuous in what they're saying. But what they say is very true, is it not? Jesus taught straight truth, right? But not just any truth. He was true. It taught the way of God truthfully. And he was no respecter of persons. He said what needed to be said. And he did not concern himself with others' thoughts or with who was around him. Jesus directed everyone, no matter who it was, to the truth. So with this, they, this in mind, they come with a question. They ask, tell us then, given what we've said about you, Jesus, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, we can't confuse this question because they're not asking a, a governmental question, right? Like political theory. Because then the question would be, hey, is it lawful according to Roman law to pay a Roman tax? Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 no. They're coming and they're asking a religious question. Is it lawful according to God's law to pay this tax to Caesar? And what they would have had in mind coming with this question, asking this question concerning the law of God, the law of Moses, they would have had in their mind Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 15. I'm sure we all know it very well. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 15 says this. 
says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Well, here's the trouble. The Jews are living under Roman rule right now, are they not? They certainly did not set Caesar over themselves. So maybe, according to God's law, we don't pay the tax because Caesar is king and he's not, he should not rightfully be our king. So here's a part of the trick. Here's a part of the trap. The Herodians and their political partisanship would not like that line of thought. They supported the current arrangement. And not paying the tax would not square up with their ideas. So Jesus has a conundrum. If he says that you must pay the tax, then he disenfranchises all the religious Jews who perhaps had a legitimate struggle living under this oppressive foreign rule. But if he said, no, don't pay the tax, then he could have charges of political dissension brought up against him. So how is he going to respond? How is Jesus going to work through this? So we read, But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Right? Jesus isn't fooled. Right? He sees right through them. He's nobody's fool. And with great wisdom, he's going to respond. But he's not going to play their game. So he says, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Right, so denarius was a, was a Roman coin. It was an average daily wage for the people of the time. And it would have been the legal tender for this particular tax. The coin had an image of Caesar on it. And according to one source, the inscription on this particular coin would have said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So it was an image of Caesar, but not just an image of Caesar. It was a claim to divinity that Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, was son of of the divine, son of the divine Augustus, the Caesar that came before him. So this is actually rather religiously disturbing for Jews of the time. Because if we think about the first commandment, you should have no other gods before me. And yet Caesar is claiming to be a god. But not only that, it's in violation of the second commandment because there's a graven image of the divine, an attempt to per, um, uh, depict a divine person. 
This is troubling. This is the troubling coin. Now, Caesar might have claimed to be a divine son, but Jesus is the divine son, and he's going to answer like no one could. So he, can, he draws to his conclusion. He says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Right? Christ directs them to just take that money and give it back. Right? It's got Caesar's image on it. So just give it back to him. It's just his. It's a tax. It just belongs to him. So just give it back to him. Don't concern yourself with these things. But he's not siding simply with the Herodians here. He's making a statement to the Pharisees' disciples. Right? They were trying to make religious arguments to get around this tax. But Jesus, he's directing them to live in light of their current civil arrangement in a peaceful way. Just give it back. And with this, we know that God has ordained government to legitimately exercise activities that are proper to them. There are things common to all mankind, the common good, so to speak, that government has a duty and an authority to protect and to uphold the common good. We see this, you know, we see civil authorities also bear the power to punish wrongdoing, right? We see that all the way back in, in, Genesis, in Genesis 9, that governments have the legitimate power to punish wrongdoing. And in our own context, civil authorities um, protect and uphold individual rights, right? I'm sure all of us, with eager anticipation, riveting excitement, awaiting the, the, the conclusion of the, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, right? All these days, all month long, we're watching every single moment, waking moment, waiting to find out. Well, what does the court conclude, right? That he was legitimately lied against and so uphold his good name at the end and the conclusion of that trial. It's good for government to do this. In addition, our private property is protected. We reap the benefits of relatively well-maintained roads for the most part. I live near, uh, near Butternut right now and that's being worked and that needs it real bad. I'm glad my taxes could go to that. And honestly, we live in central New York, right? Snow plows. We, whether they miss a street every once in a while, we need snow plows. It's an unavoidable reality. Taxes go to these things. This is why we pay taxes. Taxes are a legitimate way for the state to garner financial support from its people. And we find that it's always been this way. What are the two certainties in life? Death and taxes, right? There's reason we've, people have been saying that for a long time, death and taxes. And now I'm fully aware that this is, this is America, right? 
we're Americans and we love complaining about taxes, right? When tax season rolls around, what is it, April 15th is tax day? Is that right? April 15th? It's like April 15th, I'm gonna file my taxes. Because I understand taxes, taxes are a burden. They definitely are burdensome. They're not fun. I'd love it if I could pay less. Yes. <laughs> but we ought not to cheat and thieve our ways around them with religious arguments. To do so would be to lie and to be in direct disobedience to the fact that God has ordained government and to what Christ directs us to now. In this, we recognize that just as the coin bore Caesar's image, our own money bears the images of others, does it not? We brought nothing into this life, and we can take nothing out of this life. So we just give back what is not ours, what God has called us to give back. And in this, this is what it means to be obedient to the, to the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother, has direct implications on us and to those who are superior over us, to governing authorities. That since God has ordained the state and works through it as followers of Christ, we are called to be the most cheerful, submissive, and honorable people regarding the authorities over us. There are, of course, two caveats to this. We have the opportunity in a unique way in the Western world, in America, to participate in our government, whereas the, the Jews at this time, they did not. They certainly did not. In America, we can, we can participate. We can work for change. We do not simply sit back and just accept everything. That's not what we're talking about. But God does call us to submit to our governing authorities, not just accept everything they do as good, so we can work for change. The second caveat is we owe obedience to government in all things lawful and not against what God calls us to as the church. We preach the gospel even if it's illegal. And this is what Jesus moves on to, to direct us toward next. So he said, he said, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Hey, Herodians, I know you love the Herods, oddly enough. Perhaps you even really dig the Romans, but you ought not to allow politics to get in the way of what is owed to God. Jesus has just asked about what image and inscription is on the coin, right? It's Caesar's. 
Well, whose image is on people? All people are created in God's image and ought to render unto God the things that belong to him. He is the one who gives life and breath and every good thing. Amen? And given that, he is due all honor, glory, thanksgiving, and obedience. Honor because he's a great God. There is no being like him. He is great. He is mighty, sovereign, rule, Lord. And a being like him, it is, only, it is proper that as creatures we give all of the glory to him, the honor to him in all things. And thanksgiving, because he's good and he gives good gifts. And as a good gift giver, we ought to live a life of thanksgiving, thankful to him for his good gifts. And obedience, because he's a good law giver, that he has created life to function in such a way that we ought to obey him according to those things that he commands. Because it's, it's good to obey God. However, we know, especially in our world, that God, God does not receive all the honor, thanks, and obedience he deserves. God originally created man to live in a peaceful communion with him. But we know that Adam did what he ought not to have done that he disobeyed God, and he brought sin into the world. That mankind has fallen into sin and rebellion. That sin is what causes rebellion to arise in our hearts and in our actions. Arises, causes us to say no to God instead of yes. That instead of giving honor to God, we dishonor him. Instead of being thankful to him, as a good gift giver, we selfishly claim that we did it all on our own. We fulfill all of our own desires and wishes. But instead of obedience, rebellion, disobedience. Lives which ought to be directed to the God of life and to image him are instead directed to selfishness and sin and image the world. Right? The Herodians shouldn't sound, sh sorry, should sound familiar to us in this way. Political partisanship and radical allegiances are nothing new. We like to think that we're attracted to politicians who reflect us in our image, our values, our desires. But if we're not careful, what ends up happening is we begin to reflect and image the politics and the politicians of our day and age. And the politics disrupts the, li the life that we have with one another. And we know over the last, I mean, it's probably been forever, right? Nothing new. But over the last six years, politics has certainly disrupted public life as well as religious life. But it's not only politics. 
culture in general would have us reflect their desires and their values, right? To be a reflection and an image of cultural orthodoxy. We listen to any number of pop psychology or like relationship podcasts that exist that would have you, that would direct you to live as your best self, that no matter who it affects, to be the best you possible and to only learn how to better image yourself. And our own economy directs us to image ourselves in regard to the things that we're missing out on, right? Our the commerce and economy put an image in our mind. They say, imagine the kind of life you could have if you could only have this. Friends, we often do not image who we ought to image. But Christ came to renew God's image in people. Jesus Christ is the image of God. He is the son of the father. He is the exact imprint of the divine nature. Jesus Christ is the image of God who saves broken images to be renewed into his image. Amen? That he comes and he renews the image of God in us. Brothers and sisters, you are here right now being renewed into the image of Christ. You are being, being made who you ought to be. That the Spirit of God is changing you, transforming you every day. And as this happens, we come to know that we are made for him. To render to him the things that are his. We come on a weekly basis, and we worship God. God calls us to render worship to him. And this day, the Lord's day, is the pinnacle in the week in worship to God. That every that, 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 that the week descends away from the Lord's day and ascends to it. That it shapes all of our private worship. We worship God in prayer and reading his scriptures every day of the week, but we come together in a unique way as the corporate body of Christ to worship him, to receive his word, to commune with him, to receive grace in the sacraments and in the preached word. And in, through those things, God renews his image in us as we render to him what we ought to render to him. And that's worship. We also recognize that God calls us to render to him our relationships, all of the relationships that we have in life, especially with one another. That we are called as Christ's disciples to be discipling one another, to render to God glory in the ways that we help one another follow Jesus and see Christ formed in each and every one of us, in one another, to look at a person and to see Christ formed in them as we all imitate him together. But not only, in those, not only those relationships, but our evangelistic ones as well, 
our friends who don't know Jesus. God calls us to render to him those relationships. We have no casual relationships. No relationship, just common, like we just, you know, like these things and together and that's it. No, of course we have those things. But we want to see people come to know Jesus, to see Christ's image formed in them so that God can be rendered the glory due his name in the transformation of a hard, stone-cold heart to a warm, fleshly, beating heart that loves the Lord. Amen? Brothers and sisters, the coin belonged to Caesar. And so it belonged to him. Sorry, it imaged him. So it belonged to him. But you belong to God because you bear his image. Because of this, we reorient our lives to render to God the things that belong to him. As we wait, as we know that the spirit is working in us, to change us into the image of Christ. Christ has saved us so that we might be who we ought to be. And this includes rendering to our civil authorities what is theirs, but ultimately it's just a part of what it means to render to God what is his. We finally read in verse 22. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Right? They marveled. They were amused. They were like, oh, wow. Didn't expect that answer. All right, see you, Jesus. We have no indication that they were changed in any way, shape, or form but that they were just amused. Friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you don't know Jesus, don't walk away simply amused with his answers. You image God and you belong to him. But just as God's image is broken in all of us, it can only be renewed by God's son who died on a cross to save people from their sin so that his image might be renewed in you. If you come to him in faith, you can know that Jesus will save you and make you who you ought to be. If you're here today, you are a Christian. You as well. Don't just walk away amused with Jesus's brilliance. Don't leave hardened to Christ's word regarding a, a difficult topic. Rather, since you belong to God, since you image God, render all of your life to him in the ways that he directs you. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, who has given us life, breath, and everything, and who has saved us in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God, help us to walk in obedience, to love you in word and in deed. Lord, even as we live in a, a difficult world, in difficult circumstances, Lord, we recognize your commands are transcendent. They always call us to the same thing, no matter what age we live in. So Lord, give us strength and grace in this and hope, knowing that you're changing us, that one day we'll be fully changed and we'll behold your face for eternity. We pray these things according to your great grace and mercy in Christ Jesus, our Lord, by the power and assistance of your Holy Spirit. Amen.